do, uh, do keep open that passage in Mark that Adele read for us, um, page 1013. Let me pray as we do that. Lord, thank you that we are this morning in your presence. So Lord, we pray that these words that we look at, that we hear with our ears, would be understood in our minds and by your spirit, Lord, be changing and working in our hearts to allow us to know you better and to love you more. Amen. What's the deepest longing of your life? And I, and I don't mean making sure you're at home for 12 o'clock for Forest versus Luton kickoff live on Sky Sports. What's the deepest longing of your life? Hopefully that gives you at least some confidence that I won't go on too long this morning. What's the deepest longing of your life? And what if you had someone lovingly telling you the key to that deep longing, but no matter how many times you heard it, you just couldn't grab it? And so you strived and struggled and battled so hard, you ended up missing out forever. That's a pretty stark scenario to kick off our time this morning with. And my hope today is that you'd avoid that stark place because of what Jesus wants to tell you today. I'd like to suggest that most of us, if we really boil it down, most of us have one deep longing. To get to go home. Not necessarily to our houses, but to a place that we can truly call home. Somewhere we find peace. Somewhere we feel safe. Somewhere where we're surrounded by the people that we love. Somewhere we can truly find rest. And today that's what Jesus offers us. The key to getting home. Isn't that the greatest story ever told? The rescue of the poor wretch to be brought home. If you've not seen it yet, you've probably heard all the hype about the latest Sam Mendes film, 1917, and I can tell you it's really worth a watch. And it's basically a story of rescue. Two young British soldiers during the First World War are given an impossible mission, deliver a message deep in enemy territory that will stop 1,600 men from facing almost certain death and walking into a trap. It's an intense and thrilling ride of a story that pauses and takes a breath as it heads towards the finale. As we meet the squadron of men that the message is for, grouped in a copse of trees, preparing for battle, preparing to walk into that trap, and gathered round, they're listening to the most beautiful solo rendition of the old gospel song, Wayfaring Stranger. It says this, I'm a poor wayfaring stranger while travelling through this world of woe, yet there's no sickness, toil or danger in that bright world to which I go. I'm going there to see my father. I'm going there no more to Rome. I'm going over, I'm only going over Jordan. I'm only going over home. These boys, these soldiers are in a foreign country baked in mud with their enemy on the run and the one thing they're all thinking about is getting home. 
They're all longing for the peace of home, the peace of our final home. And as we reach this, our third week back in Mark in this new year, this new decade, we find Jesus teaching his disciples for the third time, telling them the key to getting home. And as we open our passage this morning, I want us to be encouraged because it's the same thing. And yet again, our dear friends, the disciples, just they just don't seem to be getting it. The disciples who you could really say have gone all in with Jesus are being told this key for the third time and yet they still don't seem to get it. So how many times do you need to be told something? How many times do you need to hear something in order to understand it? Just flick back and let's look at those three times. Chapter 8, verses 31 to 32. Jesus says, he, he, he then, well, it says, he then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. First time. Second time, chapter 9, verses 10, verses 9 and 10. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they'd seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. They kept the matter to themselves, discussing what it meant. And then this morning, in our reading today, the third time, chapter 9, verses 31 and 32. The Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. They'll kill him, and after three days he'll rise. But they did not understand what he meant, and were afraid to ask him about it. Not only don't they get it, they're too scared to even ask. So picture the scene. You're, you're with your group of mates. You've been in the trenches together, metaphorically speaking, for a little while now. I'm sure we've all been in those situations, like when you work with a group of people and you go through some extraordinary project or, or period of time, a bit like working for a retailer during the Christmas sales. When the chips are down and you're all mucking together, the gallows humour comes out and you do whatever, you ta- whatever it takes to get through it. You know, it never ceases to amaze me what we as human beings can do when we're put under a bit of pressure. Anyway, you've been in one of those times and the leader of the gang tries to tell you something really important. You know how super important it is, but you just don't get it. So what do you do? We revert to type. We don't get it, so we'll argue about it. In fact, I'll tell you what, we'll argue about who's best Who's better than the other? Who's, who's got the biggest chance of being able to get it? Maybe it's a boy thing. You know, secretly, Martha tells me even girls do this too, even if they don't talk about it as much as boys do. But talking about boys, if we leave our two together for more than five minutes, either on their own, whether it's on their own or, or, or just, you know, a bit bored, within five minutes, the conversation will almost certainly turn to who's better than the other at something or other. Because that's what we do, isn't it? We're constantly fighting and, and battling to be the best. Come on, girls. You know the last time you compared someone, even if you didn't talk about it. And here we are. Jesus is trying a third time to, to teach his closest followers the truth of the gospel, the meaning of God's grace, the key to getting home, the fundamental reason why he's come to earth. And what happens? 
They argue about who's better. The truth is they're all as dull as dishwater and none of them are getting exactly what he's talking about. Jesus is trying to tell them about the amazing freedom and salvation he's come to guarantee. And they, well, they're they're busy trusting in their own power, trying to take the top seat of the table, trying to earn the salvation that they all know they need. So look down at verses 30 to 32. Because these guys have got an amazing privilege, don't they? They're getting one-on-one discipleship training with the saviour of the world. And what's the key topic of the day? The Son of Man's going to be betrayed into the hands of men. They'll kill him, and after three days, he'll rise. But they still don't understand. Jesus wants us to know that this, what, what it is that this unlocks. He wants us to get our deepest desire to get to go home and to be with him forever. But he's so realistic about how, amazing, how amazingly simple that is. But how amazingly impossible that is. So I want to spend the rest of the time we've got today to look at how that, how that works out and what it really means to fully understand it. Because of our sin, because of our tendency to put ourselves first, the battle for superiority, because of our, our, our tendency to forget all about God and to believe that we can create our own version of heaven, of home, that doesn't need him. So let's think through two huge implications for us as we seek to get home. Firstly, we can get home because we're accepted and free. You're free because Jesus accepts you. You see, Jesus knows exactly what his disciples have been arguing about. They're vying for his attention, looking to be the best to get the top seat at the table. You know, Martha gets so frustrated by how often our boys squabble for affection. I'm sure life was very different when when she grew up. There wasn't squabbling in their household. Kate and Martin were clearly much better parents than we were. And and believe me, I'm taking everything I get because I know within seconds they're going to grow in, turn into grumpy teenagers and dad will be the least cool thing on the planet and they'll want to move to the moon and listen to grunge. I know that's going to happen. So for the few short moments I've got left where being half decent at computer games and coding and all those kind of techie geeky things are actually worth something, I'm taking everything I get. So when they squabble about who's daddy's favourite son, I'm going to take it. One thing I've never had the courage to do, and maybe should try, is telling them that the loser will always be first, and the winner will always be last. Because that's just not the kind of motivational speech that I'm bold enough to make. But hey, Jesus did it. And Jesus, like he always does, turns the world completely upside down. He turns it on his head. Look at verse 35. If anybody wants to be first, he must be the very last and the servant of all. Well, how does that even work? Well, he shows us by taking hold of this little child. What can this child do to put him or herself at the top of Jesus' pecking order? Truth is, back then, they, they probably weren't even expected to survive. And yet Jesus teaches us that he accepts the child for who they are. And not only does he accept them, but they're worthy of the highest honour 
because of their lowly status. So do you see, you can be free because Jesus accepts you. No longer do you need to fight with your brothers and sisters to get to the top rung. You're free to take the back seat to do the stuff that you're good at, that Jesus has given you and and enjoy because Jesus accepts you. Jesus accepts you. So what can you stop doing? How can you go deeper with Jesus because of this freedom? How can you go all in now that you can stop wrestling for superiority? Just breathe that in for a minute. You're free because Jesus accepts you. Even though it takes you however many times it does to learn something, Jesus accepts you. Even though you constantly squabble and try and get ahead of everybody else, Jesus accepts you. Remember, Jesus himself came as a little child. He went from the highest of high to the lowest of low. It was all part of he and his father's plan to rescue you and me. He was the suffering servant. We heard it. Jonah read it for us earlier. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men. And yet he came And he accepts you into a relationship with him where whoever you are and whatever you've done, he accepts you when you turn to him. He's made a way for us to be at peace with God because we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way and the Lord has laid the iniquity of all of us on him. Jesus welcomes you into a relationship with him when you turn to him and repent of your sin. So you're free to go all in with Jesus because he accepts you. Don't just be a fan. Be a follower because he accepts you and he longs for you to know him and he longs for you to come home to him. So we can get home because we're accepted and free. We have to put off our old selves and look to Jesus stopping the selfish ambition and turning the world upside down by becoming last. And that theme continues into my second and final point. As Jesus really doubles down on the risk that that selfishness brings, but reminds us how he's already made a way. Because you're accepted by Jesus, because you're free to stop struggling to get ahead of anyone else, because the Son of Man was betrayed into the hands of men, because he was killed and after three days rose again, Because of these things, we can be confident that we'll get home. So secondly, we can get home, but don't get lost in sin. Don't you just love how honest Jesus is? He talks about the danger of sin and how desperate he is for us to avoid it and the consequences of it. He pleads with us using desperate lengths of what we should do to avoid sin. He knows our longing for home and he is the answer to be able to get us there. He's longing for us to come to him so he can help us get there too. But he's also incredibly realistic about what it's going to take. And he's incredibly realistic about the dangers and the risk of sin. Because in order to get home, Jesus knows sin's our biggest challenge and that there will be a judgment as to who gets to come and who doesn't. And on that day, 
you will be judged. And whether you're at peace with God or not will matter. Because if you're not at peace with him, if you're not in a relationship with him, if you don't know him, if you've rejected Jesus, then you will be thrown into hell. Where, verse 48, their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Well, here today in 2020, I can hardly even begin to imagine what those brave men and women faced back in 1917 or during the Second World War or, or any soldier that faces any war. I'm too far removed. We're, we're too comfortable, too protected to be, even begin to imagine it. But I imagine if I were to speak to anyone who's been there, they might describe it as hell. That film, 1917, is a story of, the, of a rescue. Isn't every good story based on that rescue story? Because it's the story we all know and need. The story of being rescued and being able to finally go home forever to peace. This is what Jesus is telling us here. The thing that's between us and that root home is simple. It's sin. So do whatever you can to avoid sin. Do whatever you can do. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. If your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. If your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. That's extreme. Sure. It's extreme, but vital. You can get home, but don't get lost in sin. Let's, let's pause for a minute and, and talk about sin. We used, to, we used to teach the kids the three-letter word with I in the middle. I mean, basically, what is sin if it's not exactly that? A three-letter word with I in the middle. Isn't that exactly what the disciples were doing when they were arguing on the road? Putting I in the middle? Whenever we reject or ignore God, whenever we put ourselves first, whenever we forget that God's in charge and he's got it all, so we can trust in him, whenever we forget those things, that's when we sin. It's pride. It's stupidity. It's selfishness. And the result of it is scary. It's brutal. It's dangerous. And yet we all do it. It's that pride that stops us from getting the simplicity of the gospel because fundamentally we believe that we have to have some skin in the game. That's why I'm trying really hard this morning not to tell you to try harder. That's why everything I'm trying to say this morning is based on grace. Jesus isn't telling us what we need to do. He's telling us what he's already done. The Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. They will kill him and after three days he will rise. Our pride, our sin are the things that get in the way of us realising that. Do we really take it seriously enough? Or do we just make light of it? Everything I've ever done, everything I ever do, every place I've ever been, everywhere I'm going to, it's a sin. That's, you know, that's, that's a song that we just sing. It's a sin, it's okay. Jesus, more than anyone else in the Bible, tells us of the reality and the danger of sin. 
Sin is the thing that cuts us off from God. It's the thing that cuts us off from home. And when Jesus is warning us about that danger, he's also reminding us what we should already know, that it's not the outside things that count, but what comes out from us. You might remember from earlier in Mark, Jesus has taught his disciples that what comes out of a man is what makes him unclean. For from within, out of men's hearts come evil thoughts. And he goes on then to list all those many things that come out of us that make us unclean. All the things that, that we think about and we do. And don't those things that come out of us often come when they're triggered by something? So our eyes, our hands and our feet can lead us into temptation and that can lead us to sin. That can lead us, well, to, uh, from something from inside us that can make us unclean. So let's get practical. What does that really look like? Well, think about your eyes. What have you looked at this week that triggered something? If you're really, really honest with yourself, you know, just isn't quite right. There's a, a book I read a few years ago talk, that um, talks about how you measure the amount of affection a man can show his wife. And it, it, it used a, a measurement of buckets. And it went on to talk about how sometimes even a glance that lasts a second too long can lead to me giving my buckets to someone who isn't my wife. How many buckets have you given away this week to people that don't deserve them by using your eyes and making a decision that's sin and it's dangerous what about your hands have you screwed up your fists in anger was it based on a situation where you were trying to win and didn't what about your feet have you roamed somewhere maybe you shouldn't have or have you voided somewhere where you should have gone you see, we're our own worst enemies. And our eyes, hands and feet can lead us into places of temptation. Do we take those temptations seriously enough? Are we taming our eyes, our hands, our feet to lead us not into temptation? Are we taking sin seriously enough? Jesus did and Jesus does. Jesus was the suffering servant. He was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people he was stricken. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Jesus was tempted, but he never sinned. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He knew the lengths it would take. He prayed, not my will, but yours. And he followed it through on it to death, humbling himself, becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So remember, you're free, you're accepted, because you were bought at a price. You know, sin begins when our trust in Jesus begins to fail. That's definitely been my story recently. I think most of you probably know I, I changed roles back in April last year and it was something that we'd kind of been thinking and praying about for a long time. That has been brilliant because it's reminded me of just how desperately reliant I am on Jesus' grace. Just how lost 
without him. Middle and the back end of last year, desperately in prayer, desperate not to fail and to be distinctive and to be transparent in the face of some quite big challenges and that God would use that with supernatural energy and patience and grace in the face of all of it. And you know, in that moment, I kind of forgot that I It's a bit like a a story I read on Twitter from this pastor that I follow down in Wales who had recently experienced an amazing healing for pain that he'd suffered with for years in his knee. And he recently tweeted about how grateful he is for God healing him. But in that same tweet, lamented about how the lack of pain has made him more complacent, less likely to seek God for the healing that he's now had. Well, a bit like that, I forgot how totally reliant I am on God, even if I'm starting to feel a little bit more confident in my day-to-day life. And that cost me. Relying on myself has come back to bite me, not in any specific way, but I can just tell. It's humbling and desperate and frightening just how quickly that changes. And so I'm grateful that in preparing for this today, it's helped me see that I'm, I'm so more and more aware of the danger of my sin, the sin of self-belief. And I'm more and more aware of the freedom that I have in Jesus. And I want to delight in that. And I want you to delight in that freedom as well. Because all of this is only true when we decide to trust in him totally, when we wake up every morning and decide, I'm following Jesus today. And remind ourselves of his truths so that we're as set up for the day as we can be. For it's by grace you've been saved, through faith, and this not by yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Do you see how it all starts there? Boasting? Our longing for home. And Jesus has the key. He's telling us for a third time this morning that the Son of Man's going to be betrayed into the hands of men. They'll kill him. And after three days he'll rise. He gently warns us about the dangers of missing this. The dangers of boasting, of self-salvation, of battling to put ourselves first. And he lays it out in no uncertain terms. Just how dangerous the sin is that can stop us. So I want to finish up by just leaving with with a few thoughts, maybe a few questions to chat over coffee or maybe lunch. Where are you squabbling for greatness? What burden, it's funny, I wrote this before I'd seen Jerry's burden rucksack. What burden are you carrying that Jesus is longing for you to offload onto him? How can you go to Jesus like a little child and receive the freedom of being accepted? Where are you relying on yourself when Jesus longs for you to know the power of his death and resurrection and how that sets you free to live for him, where are you relying on yourself? And what habits are you in where you know deep down you feel bad? What's the cause of those? Is it your eyes or hands or feet? How can you talk to someone, to Jesus about those and to think through ways in which you can pluck out the poison and be healed by the freedom? What's the deepest longing of your life? And what if you had someone lovingly telling you the key to that deep longing, that no matter how many times you heard it, 
You just couldn't grab it. Do you see Jesus today lovingly telling you the key? Do you see how he longs to welcome you in? How he provides you with everything you need to make that possible? You're accepted, not because of what you've done or who you are, but because he accepts you. Do you see how dangerous your sin is? Are you running from it, recognising the dangers it brings? And if so, you can look forward, running the race with Jesus by your side, forsaking all others in faith, faith, seeking peace, getting home. I'm going there to see my father and all my loved ones who've gone on. I'm only going over Jordan. I'm only going over home. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that you're so accepting. Thank you, Lord, that whatever we've done, we can come to you and you'll accept us like a little child because of what you've done. Lord, thank you that you're with us in the race, that you're with us in the battle to get home. Lord, might we live in that freedom. Might we run away from our sin. Lord, give us the courage to face into it. Give us the courage to spur each other on and to be honest with ourselves and look forward to spending all our time with you. Amen.